Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Now, to the seemingly impossible choices facing parents who discover there's something seriously wrong with their unborn child. child. Kiwi mother Emma Gilkerson has written a memoir about the devastating discovery at a routine 12-week scan that her baby had a life-limiting condition. His heart was growing outside his body due to an extremely rare condition called ectopia cordis. Emma and her partner Roy Costia were faced with two heartbreaking options end the pregnancy or to continue in the knowledge that their baby would likely only live a few hours. He defied this prediction and lived for 15 and a half days. The former Sunday Star Times and Dominion Post journalist Emma Gilkerson's book The Heart of Jesus Valentino, named for their baby boy, is ultimately a hopeful one. Emma is with us from Brisbane. Emma, good morning. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Your story, your conception story is one many will identify with. Lots of trying, longing to see that blue light on a on a pregnancy test, but uh, yes. but getting nowhere. So yes. when you were discovered you were pregnant, all that joy, all that emotion, and initially things were pretty pretty routine. Uh, they were, um, although I had had a little bit of bleeding um, in the first few weeks of my pregnancy, um, which can mean nothing is wrong or can be the sign of a miscarriage. So we were really desperate to make it to the 12-week scan, um, after which time we thought all would be well with our baby and our pregnancy. Um, but at the 12-week scan, um, we were sitting there with the sonographer and we saw what looked like a little star twinkling above our baby's chest. Um, the sonographer said she'd never seen anything like it before. She couldn't tell us what it was um, and that a doctor would be in touch. Um, so uh, Roy went off to work. I went home and um, I sat down at my computer and began Googling. Um, I realized that the little star that I'd seen twinkling reminded me a bit of what the baby's heart looks like in ultrasound scans. So I googled baby's heart outside his chest 12-week scan and I found out the diagnosis myself, um, which is ectopia cordis, as you said. Oh, goodness, that moment. Uh, that moment, even now, what what did you do? When, and, and, and when you Googled, did you in your own mind think, oh, goodness, did you, did you in your heart of hearts know that this was likely the situation? Um, I think I had a couple of voices going on in my head. One was telling me um, that I shouldn't be leaping to any kind of diagnosis, um, that, you know, doctors have said to me that you shouldn't try and Google symptoms and find out what's, what's wrong. Um, but... You know, funnily enough, when um, my midwife called me later in the afternoon to confirm um, the diagnosis, I wasn't surprised. Um, maybe somehow I'd had an intuition that, that something was, was wrong. Um, and then I immediately began to wonder, you know, was, was surgery possible with this condition? Um, 
So I, I started researching the possibilities of that and, and also began thinking about the fact that, um, you know, we might be facing a, a funeral for our baby, which was obviously a, a devastating thought. What were you told? What what were the professionals able to tell you right from the start about this extremely rare condition and its prognosis? Uh, well, it is considered a, a fatal condition. Um, but to be honest, uh, because it's so rare, there's very little information out there about it. Um, we weren't immediately offered the, the possibility of considering surgery. That was something that we... we pushed the specialist team to look into and that was because we'd heard of at least a handful of cases around the world where um, ectopias cordis hearts had actually been put back inside the baby's chest. Um, there's a video on YouTube of a little girl in Texas called Audrina um, who had her ectopias cordis heart successfully operated on and wore a pink shield for about the first six months of her life, um, but is now doing pretty well. Um, and I actually got in touch with her mother <laughs> via Facebook, um, as you do. Uh, and so she encouraged me to find out about the possibilities of surgery for our son as well. Um, so when I was uh, about 18, 19 weeks pregnant, um, we had an appointment at Auckland Hospital with a paediatric cardiologist um, and he did another scan of our baby's heart to see um, if indeed surgery was something he thought they could attempt. And sadly the answer was no because um, our baby also had hyperplastic left heart syndrome. So as, as along with being outside of his body, it wasn't constructed quite right um, and basically they said that um, there'd be no chance that he would survive a surgery. So when this news comes through what are the what are the situations plural that you're then having to consider each of you and each of you perhaps approaching things differently as well again was there was there good advice and support and what were you having to face? Uh so I think we were more or less left alone to our own, own devices to make the decision about what to do. We had the option of ending the pregnancy um, or continuing. Um, my partner and I began leaning in different directions in terms of what we thought we should do. Um, we both wanted to do whatever was going to be the biggest act of love for our baby. Um, but my partner was scared that by bringing him to full term, he'd be facing pain and suffering and death after he was born um, and he didn't want to inflict that on him. Whereas I began to have um, other ideas that, you know, maybe my baby would prefer some experience of life as opposed to no experience of life at all. And um, I asked myself if it was, if it was my mum or dad who'd been given six months to live, would I want to farewell them as quickly as possible or would I want to cherish the time that I had with them? And of course, I'd want to cherish the time that I had with them and, and it wasn't so different with my baby, um, albeit I was loving him while he was in the womb for the majority of his life. So you each had very different perspectives in this incredibly emotional situation and I, I think, Emma, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you, you want to share this in part because so many parents, one way or another, go through this, right, or, or, or have to experience this. And it's so often, we just don't talk about it. So for each of you, um, I imagine this was a time of, of pressure even on your relationship. 
as well. Yes, yes, it absolutely was. Um, And you're quite right. I think more and more families um, are finding themselves in the situation during a pregnancy where they have to make heartbreaking decisions as um, screening tests in pregnancy become more and more sophisticated. Uh, You know, as I say, more parents are given information about an abnormal diagnosis and they have to figure out what to do with that information. Um, And I don't think there's always a lot of support around making those decisions. Um, I think in our case, it was generally assumed by um, most people that if we had a termination, that that would be an, an easier road to go down, maybe the wiser road to go down. Um, but I think that, um, for me, you know, I was almost five months pregnant when we were making this decision. Um, I was feeling my baby's kicks in my stomach. Um, this was a baby that, you know, we'd, we'd longed to have, and I already felt very in love with him. So for me, I felt like there was going to be more grief in having the termination, um, rather than bringing him to full term. Um, and I felt that at least by bringing him to full term, alongside the grief, um, maybe there'd be some opportunity to make some some wonderful memories with him, which we which we certainly did. So, at, at, did you come to a point where you the decision was made? Each of you agreed, and if you reached that point, was that when you were able to, as you say, make memories, do anything you would want to do with a loved one? Um, how did you? How did you go about doing that? What were the things you did, um, having reached the decision? Um, yeah, so first of all, I'd like to also add that when we reached the decision, um, my partner Roy completely rallied behind it and was an amazing dad and, and support throughout the pregnancy and, and our son's life. Um, and we did begin acting like a family and um, planning activities with our baby, even when he was in the womb. So, um one thing that I did when I was uh, 35 weeks pregnant, somewhat to the alarm of my specialists, was to go to Tonga to swim um, with the whales and, and their calves. Um, I like the idea of having um, that experience with my baby. Um, we also threw him what we called a birth month party in the month that he was um, due to be born. So we knew we'd never have a first birthday for our son, um, but we could have a, a little a, a birthday celebration before he was born. So we had balloons and we had a kids' puppet show and um, kids' food and, and all those things. And and that was a lovely chance to um, invite all of our friends and family together to, to make some good memories um, about our son too. Did people support you in, in a positive and helpful way? And if so, how? Uh, yes, I mean, a lot of people were almost too scared, I think, to talk to us about what we were doing. Um, I think they found the idea of being pregnant with a baby who was going to die, you know, very confronting. Um, but we did find um, quite amazing support through the Buddhist community that I was part of. Um, and Roy, he's he's a Peruvian and I was raised Catholic, so we also... Um, met a very wonderful um, priest, Father James Leons at Sacred Heart Cathedral, who was great support for us as well. Um, And I'd say, you know, both the Buddhist and Catholic tradition um, offered us really useful ways to frame our experience, um, to see the value in our baby's life, even though it was always going to be very brief. 
What of the medical profession? How supportive were they and in what ways as, as the pregnancy advanced? Medical and I should say the, the palliative care profession as well. Right. Um, to be honest, Catherine, um, you know, what we were doing was quite unusual. Um, and I would say that um, there's not really a lot of support for families who take the decision that, that we took with our baby in New Zealand. Um, I understand that in some countries where it's more common to embark on what's officially called perinatal palliative care, there are more supports in place. Um, I think in the States um, and in Italy, um, the situation's a bit different. But uh, we were, yeah, more or less left to our own devices to figure things out. And it was it was thought that our baby was either likely to die at birth or very shortly afterwards. Um, so there wasn't really anything put in place for um, another scenario. And uh, indeed, we found ourselves um, in a very different scenario where our baby um, was born much healthier than anyone expected. Um, and of course, you know, for us, that was just, that was incredible. Um, the days that we had with him, they were days of miracle and wonder. Um, but it did mean that the hospital system was caught a bit on the back, back foot um, in terms of um, how they were going to care for us. Um, there was a suggestion, I think, very early on, maybe after JV had been alive for two or three days, that we be sent home. Um, but I didn't have a I didn't have a baby's bassinet. Um, I didn't have any of any of the things that you need to take care of a baby at home because we hadn't been prepared for that scenario. Um, so what eventually happened was we spent um, a week in Wellington Hospital, uh, and then in the second week of our baby's life, um, our neonatologist had the stroke of genius to ask for us to be admitted to Mary Potter Hospice. Um, and um, our baby was the first baby to ever be admitted to that hospice. Um, and that was a really great environment for us to be in because we had the support of medical staff, but um, it's also a very family-friendly environment and we could really focus on enjoying the, the precious time that we had with our son. What you are also very gently making clear here was gaps in the care, perhaps, and gaps in the support that apply not only to your own story, but to many parents who have miscarriage, or go through stillbirth, or lose a baby shortly after birth. The needs and the particular grief and the support needed. I mean, it's often personal, isn't it? Sometimes, and some professionals are amazing, and in other instances, perhaps we just do not provide as much as we could and should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Um, I think that um, most of the support that we received was outside of the medical system, um, through the, the Buddhist networks I mentioned, um, the Catholic community. Um, and then we were very lucky to have some extraordinary medical professionals who went way beyond the call of duty for us. Um, for example, we had a neonatal nurse who um, gave up time on her weekends so that she could accompany us with our baby um, to uh, 
visit the gardens at the Home of Compassion, to visit um, the bird sanctuary, Zealandia and Wellington, to take him to Mass, to go to my Buddhist centre for world peace chanting. Um, and they were really special experiences for us because, you know, we were we were introducing our baby to the world and we were making some, um, you know, beautiful memories that ultimately are what's got us through the grief um but yes in terms of that neonatal nurse i wish that someone like her was available for all families in situations like ours as opposed to it having just been that we were lucky that she was so generous with her time why write this book i I, i've alluded and i don't wish to put words in your, your your mouth but i've alluded to people for whom this may be very comforting or or um, something they can identify with but for you why write it um well certainly Catherine you know I love the idea that this book may be of some use to um, another family who is facing the um, the loss of a child or perhaps is already in the grieving process if a child has died um, and uh, it's also for me a way of honouring my son's life. You know, it was very brief, um, but I like the idea that the ripples can still continue. Um, and I'm also someone who writes to know what they think, so it also helped me to um, to process a lot of the experience and, and get clarity around what had happened. Many people, as we said, have been through are going through, will go through similar heartbreaking decisions. What to, what to do with news such as that you received at the scan and then subsequently, as you said, further information. And you can only make the decision that is right for you, right? Right for you in the circumstances you're in. And did you want to share your very personal insights, perhaps for others, who may make a different decision, but you know what it's like to be there? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'd also like to say I completely respect the decision that other families make to um, not continue a pregnancy faced with the kind of diagnosis that that we had. Um, I think it's a very personal decision that depends on, you know, so much about a family's circumstance. Um, But yes, you know, I think in terms of wanting to offer something to other families. Um, My own experience of grief was that it was really confusing and chaotic. Um, It wasn't what I'd expected. I found myself thinking if only it was a simple matter of tears. Um, But it really shook me to my very core. Um, And I think even though we knew our son was going to die, um, it's so deeply imprinted on a mother's psyche that you're going to you're going to go from carrying your baby in your stomach to carrying your baby in your arms. Um, I was very disorientated for a period after um, our son died, and you know my body didn't understand what had happened. I was still producing milk <laughs> for several months. Um, I think my body was still hoping there was going to be a baby to feed. Um, so. I think that the grief of uh, the death of a baby is it's a it's a particular kind of grief. Um, it, it can also be a little bit more difficult because you don't know who your baby was going to become. You know, you don't know what their favourite food would have been or what age they would have learned to walk. So even though you're um, intensely close to them during pregnancy when you're sharing your blood and your cells and, you know, you have an intensely close physical experience, but um, you don't necessarily know 
who they are. So it can be hard to um, to ch- to channel um, your grief, I suppose. These are very pa- very powerful words you are speaking, and it occurs to me beyond the bounds of of support groups and uh, people are amazing at getting together and supporting others going through similar things Mm -hmm. Um, depending on where you are sometimes I guess and and, and your access and as you mentioned online now there's um, such an ability to connect but this is such a particular experience uh, and, and it is one that I suppose we don't openly talk about write about share about uh, unless we are fortunate enough to have someone close or, or professionals or, um, you know, su- support parties who can truly understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and as I say, you know, we we did have some we did have some people who really understood. Um, and uh, one of the stories that um, Father James told me um, during our pregnancy was one of a saint called Saint Christopher um, and his story is that he he saved a baby during times of great flood um, by swimming with this baby um, over over a river that um, you know he thought he couldn't cross and as he was swimming across the river he realized that it wasn't him who was saving the baby's life it was the baby who was saving his life because it was giving him the determination and the courage to get to the other side and when he got to the other side the baby disappeared so it was thought to be like a Christ child um, and Father James told me that story and, and gave me a little medallion of St. Christopher to wear um, you know, I'm, I'm not Catholic, I, I wasn't raised in any particular religion, but that was such a powerful story to think about in terms of our baby. Um, and my dear Buddhist friend Camilla actually had a, a similar story, well, a similar idea, and that um, when I told her that, you know, I just wanted to love my baby and do my very best to protect him, she said, well, that's what your baby will be wanting to do for you too, because in the Buddhist tradition, um, our babies are our, are our bodhisattvas, um, they're our teachers or our agents for enlightenment. Um, so, you know, these were profound ideas to contemplate. <laughs> um, and I think when you're in a situation like we were, where it's like life meets death, you're really forced to ask yourself the, the bigger picture questions about life and, you know, what you believe about souls and destiny and the afterlife and so forth. Where are you at now? You know, grief is not a linear journey, nor one that that ends. It changes, but it doesn't end, and it certainly isn't a straight progression. Where are you at now? Um, look, I can honestly say we're in a place of real peace, and and we're we're healed. I guess if um, if I can put it like that, um, I feel like when we think about um, our son, Jesus Valentino, now it's it's with such love and that love ultimately overrides the sense of loss. Um, you know, we had a we had a profound um, and difficult and yet amazingly loved filled experience with him. And he's still very much part of our family. Um, I don't like to say that I've lost a baby because he doesn't feel lost to me. He still feels very close to my heart. Um, and we celebrate his birthday and talk about him a lot so yeah he is and will always be part of your family yeah he will and actually can I can I just take a second to explain his name Jesus Valentino 
Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, Jesus is um, is a quite a common name in Peru, where Roy's Roy, Roy comes from. And when he first suggested that we call our son Jesus, I was like, no way. It just doesn't translate culturally. People are going to think we're calling our baby God. Um, and then. I had the idea of the name Valentino because I actually found out I was pregnant on Valentine's Day. Um, and Roy put the two together and said, well, we'll call him Jesus Valentino. You know, it's a we have 50-50 say in our baby's name then. Um, and by dint of repetition, he convinced me that it was the right name for our baby. It's it's quite a mouthful. It's quite an extraordinary baby. But then um, not but many babies have their hearts growing outside of their chest either. You have, uh, you've had a second baby, you have a second child in the family now. Yes, yes we do. Yep, Amaru, who's a um, hale and hearty um, two-year-old. Um, yeah, who's, uh, yeah, a, a wonderful a wonderful addition to our family. Um, he doesn't replace Jesus Valentino, but, you know, he's a, he's a wonderful little guy in his own right. Lovely. Thank you very much for sharing the story and for sharing the book. I'm sure there are many, many people who will appreciate you sharing such a personal experience, as we said, one um, that is so personal and yet so many people in different ways will find themselves confronting. Emma, thank you. Mm, thank you very much, Catherine. Lovely to talk. Emma Gilkerson, the book is The Hearts of Hazel's Valentino, a mother's story. It is published by Our Press. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 